You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. this switch then this switch that activates it then you push this button which will give you five minutes to get out of there now whatever you do don't push this button because that will set off the bomb immediately and we'll all be dead now repeat back what i just said i'm good uh-huh i'm good that's right i'm good no no that's the button that will kill everyone try again Hmm. I am Groot. Mm-hmm. I am Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. No! That's exactly what you just said! How is that even possible? Which button is the button you're supposed to push? Point to it. No! Hey, you're making him nervous! Shut up and give me some tape! Does anybody have any tape out there? I want to put some tape over the death button. Welcome, everybody, to the 602 Club. So excited to be here. We got a great show for you, and I, I'm so excited to have these guests back. Um, I'm having my own personal Blanton Con yes. tonight with the two people who just graduated from college, and what are they doing? They're podcasting with me. So excited. Welcome back, Riley and Bethany Blanton. Hey, allow me to be the first to say, Riley and Bethany, you just graduated college. What are you going to do? We are going to podcast with Matt Rushing. <laughs> Woo! I, I mean, it doesn't get, after this, all my career aspirations, any 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 change in the world that I want to be, forget whatever that uh, commencement address is. I'm kind of like, I'm freaking podcasting about Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know about you, Jokers. Which, that's, that's, I mean, what else would you want to be doing? And I'm so excited for you guys. Uh, and I'm excited that we're here to talk about Guardians. Uh, before we dive in, just everybody, you should know, you can find all of the shows over there on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM, which is Apple Podcasts. Make sure you check us out. Give us a star rating review. Right now, we are celebrating Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, if you give us a star rating review, you'll be entered to win some sweet, exclusive Funko what? Pop swag. What? That's right. That's, yes. You could, Riley. Just go over Hang there on, and review us on... I'm heading to iTunes right now. Yeah, you should be. Uh, so uh, just hit us up with a star rating review over there, and you'll be entered to win. I'd love to to give that to you. We have 60 reviews right now. We're trying to get to 100, so help us out. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have our listeners-only discussion group, which is uh, the Babel Conference. If you're on Facebook, type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or... If you're on the website, Trek.fm, you can hit discussion on the menu bar and it'll bring you over there. We'll let you in. You can talk about everything we're talking about on Trek FM, 602 Club and otherwise. And last but not least, uh, you know, if you would like to uh, leave us a long form email, love getting those, the contacts. So go to Trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose a 602 Club, and that comes to me and the hosts that are on that week. So Matt, I got a question make sure for you him. do that. Yeah, what's if, up, um, Riley? If you send an email for the first time, is it your first contact? Right. Oh, <laughs> yes, that is your first contact. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. 
Ah, uh, man, line, Riley, I'm I'm drawing the heat, the line here. <laughs> this far, like, no farther. No more. Um, no okay, more. no more Star Trek talk. All no right, more Star Trek right. talk. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, both of you, about kind of being back in the galaxy. I know both of you really enjoyed the first movie, and so first, just wanted to see how excited you were to see this one. If you had any expectations, and then how did you see it? Two D, three D. Where did how did all that happen? Okay, so so Riley was very excited for this film, and I was excited too. But I was also drowning in ROTC and school finals and everything else. So Riley was like, "Let's go see it! Let's go see it!" And I was like, "Not today! Not today!" Because we were prepping for everything, and so I actually I had almost no expectations going into this film. Not because I had low or high expectations, but because I literally didn't have time to think about it, which was a very odd experience because when we finally went to see it um, Friday evening, super late, with uh, Steve Glosson and Scott Rifen and some family members and friends, um, I sat down in the movie and I hadn't had a chance to even think about it and was immediately taken in by the new Marvel entry and just loved the film overall. But uh, going into it where I, my mindset was completely not in the mindset of sitting down and actually enjoying a movie. And yet this movie fully brought me into it and grabbed my attention despite my complete exhaustion and an extremely high level of stress. You know, yeah, I was looking forward to it a little bit. Uh, the first one's like my favorite ever. I'm trying to think of um when I when I cause people like to do this almost now useless ranking right of the Marvel films, and and the reason I say it's useless is that because at a certain point their their batting average is so high it's just not even fair. It's just like oh I'm sorry I liked uh I, the Iron Man three uh, slightly more than Thor the Dark World. Right, and at, at which point I'm just like, we should all just shut up because every single one of these movies, at least in my opinion, has some element of uh, high fantasy and a message and is fun and exciting and it's a superhero movie. And like Marvel, Marvel just gets gets it. They do an amazing job. Uh, but if I were to rank the first Guardians, it would probably be... You know, I'll put it this way. Instead of ranking it, I will say this. It's the film I've seen the most over and over again. It's the most rewatchable of all the Marvel films because I've seen it probably like seven times, which is far more than any other Marvel film. So I had very high expectations here uh, because I just know it's the same creative team and it's freaking James Gunn and I love the trailers. So very high expectations and kind of interesting results. We'll, we'll break through. there. I have some really specific thing now. I'm two viewings in. And I have some really specific high praise and some really specific uh, criticisms for things that I think may have detracted from its best elements. So I, I'm excited to kind of actually get through it. But that was kind of our overall experience. And we saw it at uh, IMAX 3D the first night, Friday night, like, like Bethany said, with, uh, with two dear friends in the world of geekdom and podcasting, Scott Rifen and Steve Glosson. And that was just like that's a lot of that's a lot of podcasting awesomeness all in one place. Uh, yes, yes. So it is. I'll be interested to hear what they thought of it because they didn't get much of a chance because it was such a late screening to actually talk about the movie 
afterwards. I'm pretty sure everybody enjoyed it, but I know I certainly that did. That sounds like a good idea for a supplemental of the Star Wars report. I, I, sh- I was Star I was just Wars talking report to Mark. after hours. I was just talking to Mark on this week's episode. I was like, dude, because he hasn't seen it yet, and I was like, we need to do like a separate uh, breakdown. But well, fortunately, and, and didn't we do that with the Hobbit once upon a time? We did, where... that. We did that with the old Avengers movies. Yeah, yeah. we would talk yeah. about it after the recording of the Star Wars report. For uh, for myself, uh, my wife and I, we went and saw it in IMAX 3D, and I actually really liked the movie in 3D. I thought it looked great. Uh, I think they did a really good job. Uh, the 3D was actually worth it to me uh, because I saw it in 2D um, as she had National Guard duty this weekend, and I didn't enjoy it quite as much uh, in non-3D, at least on the big screen. Uh, I felt like the 3D just added a lot to the the film. Like, they just did a very good job with it. And so, um, but, you know, my expectation coming in was I enjoy the first Guardians movie, and so I kind of expected a little bit more of the same, but I hoped uh, that this one would be a little bit deeper with its characters and the storyline. And I think... Um, for me, I was, I, for the most part, pleasantly surprised in this one. And so uh, I wanted to ask you guys about this because it's something, you know, a, a theme in the first movie is the whole idea of family and finding your family. And this movie, well, let's just be honest, uh, copies uh, <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back quite a bit. Does it? And a lot of... Yeah, in a lot of ways. Uh, there were some similar beats. There were some similar moments yeah, for sure. Um and specifically, you know, Peter coming face to face with his true father, his the father who gave birth to him. And he has that whole kind of like Luke Skywalker moment when he realizes that all his dad wants to do is rule of the galaxy with his him by his side. And I just wanted to ask you guys kind of about that dynamic because it was interesting to go from like found families to coming into this movie where it's it's that struggle of what is family is and and how do we define that and and does it you know matter uh, like who the people are in your life and I thought that was just a really interesting way to kind of shake up this movie from the last movie and kind of change it up a little bit. Oh, Beth and I, all right, there's just a little bit of nonverbal <laughs> communication. Beth and I literally just both nodded at the other one at the same time. Well, yeah, yeah like we're we're both agreeing well, on your point. I'm just like, Matt nailed it. I have really uh, have nothing to add to that. Can I? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the theme of this movie is definitely family, but it's like an inversion of it, right? It's this sort of, um, I will say this, the first film is so tightly packaged in this glorious um, uh, feel good where each character has has their own significance and their own... Um, their own story that you you find out about their motivations, and so whether it's you know Rocket being this outcast, cybernetically engineered uh, raccoon, not that I would ever call him that. Uh, no, it's a trash panda. <laughs> trash panda, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so much Gam- worse. Gamora or the the um, her her rejection of her father, or whether it's. Uh, Drax and we learn about his wife and daughter being killed or whether it's Peter Quill and him never knowing his father and his mother's early death. Like these are these are like these touch point elements that define each character so that when they come together as a group uh, I am able to I- empathize and and actually uh, 
love these characters that much more because of their what what we know about them their story well and it's 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 so real and it's in in some ways if we want to touch on star wars as an example of this i think sometimes people who really identify with anakin skywalker in some ways can identify with him more than the majority of the characters in the prequels in part because he has family struggles in the sense of, you know, he doesn't have a dad. He had to leave his mom in slavery. And and so it, these these heroes, these guardians of the galaxy, are flawed beings who have troubled backgrounds that so many of us can identify with. Because I don't know a single person who doesn't have some sort of family issue or struggle, whether it's an absent parent or... Uh, you know. Which is much, much more explored in this movie too. Uh, and let's be honest, Bethany, the the what each of those uh, beautiful sort of baseline primal motivations be- behind each of the characters in the first film are more complex in this film, which helps and hurts it because on its face, I absolutely love each character's story arc. But they kind of got in each other's way. I felt sometimes. So, like, what I lo- I absolutely loved. I know we're gonna talk about this more in a second. But the dynamic between Gamora, uh, you know, the sister dynamic, right? It, that was um, uh, I I keep wanting to say Karen Gillan. What's what's the name? Nebula. Nebula. Uh, Nebula. Um, the dynamic of of them realizing what their conflicts truly were about. That was incredible. The idea of Rocket. And uh, Rocket being able to connect with uh, Yondu. Yondu. Uh, this is this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a long night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna keep turning to Matt to help me out here because right now, for some reason, my brain is in actor name mode. Uh, so I'll like, be I'll the, be saying the that great moment when Bradley uh, Cooper talked when Bradley Cooper talked to you know Chris Pratt, and it was like no no uh, I'll try my best. Um, but uh, but the 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 fact that they were able to connect on this level where he, he knows I know exactly what you are, boy. I am you know I because I am you. Um, the idea the the conflict. Uh, what what else do we got? What else we got? Oh, the um, of course the idea of the the main thrust of the plot. Peter Quill's uh, drama with with dear old dad, uh, and that rock, rock and roller coaster. Uh, that that all of these elements I absolutely absolutely loved, uh, and and. You know, tracks his newfound friendship. Each of these, on, in and of themselves, is 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 so well done. But it's 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 a lot to try to pack into one film. Um, to where I felt well, like and you did leave out one big thing, which is that they are the family. Oh, I thought you were going to say the unspoken thing, and I was like, well, I can't speak about. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, No, I I absolutely agree with you. I, I think that. One of the things, and I, I'll get—I guess I'm just going to be right up front and I'm going to say it. Uh, so, spoiler alert: I actually like this movie better than the first movie. Oh wow! But it's not as well made. Yes. Uh, and it doesn't flow together as well as the first movie. The first movie is very slick; it's very well put together, and everything flows very well. Because this one is kind of doing that empire structure where you have parts of the characters kind of broken apart from each other and uh, different aspects are happening in different places, so you have to kind of cut away from action one place and go to another place, whereas the first movie pretty much just follows the characters once they meet each other together. This one doesn't do that, and so 
it's it's a little bit more complex in the structure of it, and it doesn't quite flow as well as the first movie. But as you were mentioning, Riley, all of those themes, especially with, uh, revolving around all of their different family struggles, to me was the thing that made this more enjoyable to watch because there was just more to dig into with those characters. First movie, they're kind of all wonderful cliches, but this movie I felt like they're, you're trying to break out of the cliche mold and give them just a little bit more depth, and I really like that. And specifically, you know, Peter struggling with coming to face-to-face with the thing he thought he always wanted, which was a dad, right? He wants to throw the ball with his dad. You know, it's it's a classic, like... The, the realization that you want a father, you need a father, the importance of having a father in your life, but then realizing that maybe he always had that and it was right in front of his eyes and he, he just missed it, you know, with Yondu. We, we, and, and you know what? I can just sit here. Let's talk. Let, or you know what? Let's just spend the whole rest of the episode about uh, the dynamic of Yondu, the Ravagers, and Peter Quill, because like, that's this movie. You know, it's interesting because upon a second viewing, that is the central... That's what connects with me, the uh, redemption story. Uh, surprise, surprise! The big Star Wars fan. The the idea of y- Yondu was a was a broken father figure, who we found out made a you know the the he he, he didn't make the right choice, but he did in 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 deciding to save Peter uh, from the same fate that all of his uh, <laughs> step siblings suffered. Um, that 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 was just a small, small, um, I guess, tear of conscience that we get a peek at, and we don't really know about. We don't really see it until it's mentioned later in the film. But that idea of of Yandu, who's also we find out was once a child slave himself, and like that's so that's that's heady stuff, man. Like the the idea of Yandu's character arc, that seed being planted to where he's then willing to sacrifice himself in the end, uh, is the absolute most powerful part of the whole movie. Well, and that's what's so interesting about the movie is that you have the character of like Darth Vader, basically, split into yeah. two different characters in this movie, where you have the Yondu and the Ego. And they're they're one is going to have the redemption story, and one is going to have the story of... Mm, no, I'm just going to try and destroy the whole universe to make it reflect <laughs> me. Uh, and and I thought that was really, uh, it, it, I thought it was just a, a really nice way to kind of take that again that Empire Strikes Back structure, but not just completely copy it uh, and give us a, a new way of of looking at that. Yeah. But also fitting the character, like you said, of Yondu. And and taking somebody who in the first movie you just kind of thought as being this really kind of a dirtbag, uh, even though he ends up helping in the end, he's just not a very good guy, especially what he's done to Peter. But you realize in this movie that he actually saved Peter's life, and you didn't even know that until we get to Ego's planet, and you're like, oh crap. And you know what? What James Gunn does so brilliantly is that it's not flat. Because, like, that arc that you described, that idea of, you know, him, you know, a little, maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, a little bit of a heart of gold underneath all of that, and he makes the right decision in the end. Like, that's a Han Solo beat, which, uh, you know, we all love Han Solo from A New Hope and his character arc, but this is more complex. Like, the way it interweaves with Rocket's story and the way that, you know, he, that, that, that we realize the, 
multi-dimensional aspects of Yandu as a character because of the way he mirrors Rocket and how he basically he essentially brings what was so awful that happened to him and that's the foundation of him making the decision all right I'm not going to let this happen to this kid once he finds out what's going on and then here's the thing it doesn't go well for him Right? Like, this is not something we should just, like, gloss over. You know, uh, think about it. So Yandu, uh, he he makes the right decision with Peter once he finds out, but then he's screwed, and the one thing he's ever known that ever actually redeemed him and got him out of uh, child slavery, the Ravagers, uh, exile him. Thanks, Sly. <laughs> uh, but uh, and then he he lives in exile with this the dumbest bunch of rowdy uh, pi space pirates ever, and that's his life. That's his lot in life, rejected uh, for for twenty years, and never the person that he rescued, never seeing him as anything other than a captor. And then all the way through into the end, he makes the right decision and sacrifices himself and then dies. Like, this is not a happy, this is not like, he doesn't show up as a shimmery blue ghost. Uh, this is just, it is, and it's, and that's, I kind of love that because it's a very poetic and harsh reality that's communicated here. But I, I will also say that Yandu found fulfillment in the end in recognizing the truth about himself almost by seeing it in Rocket, seeing it dis on display yeah. in front of him in another being who was pulling a lot of the same stuff that he did. And if you look at it from a... And, and here's the, the former college student, Bethany, who took an entire class about uh, um, slavery and the, the politics and psychology of it. If, if you look at actual child psychology when it comes to children who are abandoned or sold into slavery or used and abused for whatever reason, which Yandu and Rocket both fit into that category, they have an extremely hard time accepting love and care and trusting, and they have an extremely hard time giving that out to others. So you have someone like Yandu who is... is essentially looks at Peter almost like his son, but he refuses to admit it to himself and he can't because he literally doesn't know how to. He doesn't know how to actually take care of Peter. So he's he's doing his best and his, his best is that of someone who is broken inside and somebody who doesn't become whole until he makes those redemptive choices in the end of the movie. Well, and that's one thing that I really thought was interesting and it connects with the first movie is that I think in a lot of ways Yondu like uh, Anakin Skywalker takes a lesson from his son and becomes self-sacrificial just like his son did in the first movie. You know, uh, Peter grabs hold of the infinity stone, not knowing that he's not going to die. Yeah. Uh, no, and I true. think Yondu does that same exact thing in this movie, which is really, it, it's a nice connection and again, and it really deepens that that whole relationship idea, and and like you said, that whole idea of redemption, and that that is available, but it's an complete opposite way of what we'll talk about in a little while with you know ego and his god complex. And so I think yeah, that's that's the thing about this movie is that where the first movie was just so much fun, and I have a blast watching it. This movie takes all those characters and gives me a lot of really great things to think about and a lot of deep 
uh, thematic elements. On top of the idea of, you know, we all love a good redemption story. And so watching these intergalactic screw-ups get their opportunity to redeem themselves uh, through altruistic means is a really, it's a good message, but it's a lot of fun, too, at the same time. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. And you know what? It, the other part that made me feel warm and fuzzy inside is the fact that this is freaking Michael Rooker, who suddenly has a big, giant starring role in a Marvel movie. Because, uh, like, he had a big role in the first one. But I can't. I do have a personal investment in in, in this fellow. Uh, in fact, I just, I just got to tell you... Um, uh, Matt, it's... is this the Dragon Con story? <laughs> we met Bethany and I. Bethany, remember this? We met oh, yes. Michael Rooker at Dragon Con. I want to say it was the same year that it came out, or maybe it was the year before. But um, we met him at, at Dragon Con because he uh, he had come, uh, he some did promotional some material had come out, but no trailers yet. Yeah, so that was probably 2013. I say all that to say is that he showed up to Dragon Con and he did a couple panels, and then he did a comedy podcast show, and we had gone there. And I know the guys. He did a show with uh, with Night Attack, uh, and he was really funny. He was great. Uh, but he hung out afterwards after doing that and just like talked to people and was just hanging out and then went to an after party and like he was just a genuinely awesome fellow because and again I this this is awfully detailed but I figure if there's any place that I can share the story it's here at the actual convention itself he he talked about and I'd kind of heard him on the show before early on in his acting career you know this is a character actor who's been active since like the seventies uh, doing very stereotypical like hick white criminal awful scum of the earth type characters and that's been his typecast for like 30 40 years like that's literally all he's done um for years and years like if you guys know him from walking dead his character merle dixon very similar that's basically michael rooker's character and so back in the day he was hoping to uh kind of transform his career some and this was uh, like 2009, 2010, and he wanted to uh, say, well, I need to try the social media thing. These, you know, like, because some of the internet thingies. And so, like, some people he knew connected him with this podcast, the podcasting world, and he made an appearance on the show that he would do later at uh, at DragonCon just to kind of have a coming out party for starting, like, a Twitter account. So, like, I've listened to that show, and I've heard him appear on these, like, very, like, ground-level behind the scenes um uh connecting with with fans and here's the thing here's the thing the the whole point of the story is that when it comes to uh sci-fi and fantasy and these movies and actors and stuff i've been around them at conventions and you can't judge whether someone's genuinely a nice or cool person uh based off of what they say in an autograph line that's yeah. just that's just the way it works <laughs> but i'll tell you what this guy i'm just so warm and fuzzy that cuz cuz he's genuinely he hung out uh, at, we snapped a picture with him, and you know, I'll just say this: Michael Rooker's a character, and he absolutely loves just hanging out with people, and he's super nice. And the fact that he landed the gig with Guardians of the Galaxy a couple years ago, and now he's back, and not only it's like he's the star and my favorite part of the movie, even though uh, having nothing to do with the fact that I've met him, just makes me really happy that someone that genuinely awesome has this kind of role. Well, and I think. He helped us learn the lesson. Everyone needs a Hasselhoff. Everyone needs a Hasselhoff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it just, and, and that's what I thought was so interesting about the movie. And, and what I actually liked the, the movie said, too, uh, in the end, Peter learning that Yondu was every bit his, his daddy and was every bit 
um, that relationship that he just never gave it credit for uh, had a lot to say, I think, about the idea of how important adoptive parents are, you know, and, and, and that was just a message to me that I was thinking, you know, it's, it's so important to talk about the, the need, yes, for people to have strong parenting roles in their lives, you know, a good mother, a good father, um, and that kind of stuff. But let's not discount the fact that there are a lot of kids who grow up uh, and are blessed because, you know, they're adopted by people. And that is just as important and just as relevant, just as uh, um, true a relationship as if they were blood family. You know, I think of like Simone Biles and things like that, you know, uh, people that were adopted and have gone on to do great and amazing things because they had incredible parents who were there for them every step of the way, you know, and, and, to me, that was just a, a cool byproduct of that message of, you know, it's not just who your, you know, father is, but it's who your daddy is. Who's you know, your daddy? Who's <laughs> your daddy? So, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, because we, we mentioned a little bit, but we kind of wanted to give it its own section. You know, Bethany, specifically, I wanted to ask you, you know, in the first movie, Nebula and Gamora don't have a ton to do, but this movie, they actually get their own theme, their own part of this movie that doesn't have anything to do with like what boy they love but it has yes, to do with which is the so struggles. exciting <laughs> yes uh their struggles so i wanted to talk about that idea this kind of the you know because they have this big old sister fight and it's something that's really important for both of these characters to go through oh yeah and i and i think in some ways this kind of ties back to what we were talking about with uh your birth father versus the person who is your daddy in your life and it, so if if you go back to to Peter's story he keeps searching for this father figure who turns out to be a well, little bit of a disappointment in terms of his actual real father and he doesn't realize that he had Yandu's character there for him to some degree or other as flawed as he was he was there for him the, the whole time and then on top of that you have that line where uh he said where peter says you know i finally found my family and gamora says i thought you already had so this idea that peter never realized that he had this already built-in family around him which drax later states in the movie you know we are not friends we're a family and in the same way the the same sort of thing happens to gamora gamora is looking at nebula as an evil person who's trying to kill her tries to steal stuff you know they're they're enemies and from and we learned that uh nebula has reasons for being as awful as she is sometimes that Nebula is a deeply scarred being whose father was excessively abusive, not just to Gamora, but even more so, it turns out, to Nebula. And that Nebula realizes realized all her life that she, you know, as she said, just wanted a sister. But Gamora didn't realize this. Uh, you know, they're, they're two very different personalities, and Gamora's approach is always survival and i think gamora i think gamora struggles even more with trying to rely on people than nebula would um 
just by sheer personality difference. And so eventually Gamora realizes, wow, I, I've had this sister for so long and never realized it and treated her as an obstacle to my survival. And, you know, you, you can't blame and all she children. Sister. Yeah. And you can't blame children for the way that either of them acted, but their rocky road to redemption is, is perfectly, uh, symbolized in the hug that they give each other at the end of the movie which is Gamora very awkwardly grabbing Nebula's arm and Nebula almost punches her Gamora hugs her and then Nebula kind of sort of hugs her back for a moment and then flees and that's that's a good example of the fact that their relationship is broken but is being rebuilt by both of them very intentional. That was the best written. That was the best written relationship conflict. Like that. That was the best writ- written subplot of the entire movie, if you ask me. Um, I absolutely, absolutely loved the the redemptive elements of like discovering uh, discovering sisterhood in a way that has I've I've never seen in any film, uh, much less something I would expect to see in a Marvel film. And it was so great to see um, that coming together. Uh, the the moment the. I'm not gonna lie. I got, I got a little bit, got a little bit teary-eyed when uh, she accuses her of just saying you just wanted to win. She said, "I just wanted a sister." I was like, "Oh, oh, Nebula!" Yeah. I, feel, I, I, I just, it, and I'll, I'll say this: those two sisters better freaking be the ones to kill Thanos at the end of Infinity <laughs> yeah, War. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking that during the movie. Well, and on top of that, I think one of the things that this movie actually helps with is look. If there's one real failing of the Marvel films, it's this idea that Thanos has been this like mystical phantom menace behind everything. And it's kind of obnoxious that it's taken us 10 years to kind of get to the movie that where he's going to show up. But this movie does a great job when Nebula talks about how bad Thanos was to her, how every time she lost, he would replace another part of her trying to make her better and it just it's so psychologically creepy and scary it does a great job of setting us up for what we're going to get in the infinity war where thanos is finally the bad guy and we have a real picture of just how bad this guy is just from seeing this relationship because we have a legitimately real reason for understanding why he's evil pure evil for that the kind of and we have a personal reason for it not just that he has this weird scary throne that he turns around slowly on no now we (laughs) we know he doesn't he doesn't just sit in a hover chair like (laughs) wheelchair in space no (laughs) well and and it's 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 given to us in actually a very comic moment where um oh i forget the pirate's name the uh, James Gunn's Taser w- Face? <laughs> no, 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 no. Taser no, face. like the only one who actually wound up helping Yondu in the end. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Craglin. Thank you, Matt. You're amazing. 
Uh, so Craglin, when Craglin's like, you know, what, well, what are you going to do with your share of the money to Nebula? And the, the camera zooms in on, on Nebula's enraged face. And she's like, and I will hunt down and kill my sister. With and every then, uh, conceivable and then, instrument of death. Then I will hunt down and, you know, rip Thanos apart piece by piece so he can feel every ounce of the horrendous pain I feel every day for years. And then it goes back to his face and he's like, uh... Okay. Okay. Awkward. I, was, I, was, like, I thought you were just gonna maybe sure. like buy a nice hat so that every time people saw you, be like, "Oh, that's that's a nice hat, girl." <laughs> it's like all the other girls go, "Ooh." <laughs> that was so good. But uh, at the same time, like that even, was a hilarious even moment. Even he had a great it, character arc. So, so, but it, it gives. Yes, he did have a, a great character arc as well. But it, it gives his perspective on Thanos as somebody who would actually do that to his daughters. And then on top of that shows us that Nebula is so incredibly broken because it's saying, you know, what would most people do with a lot of money that they got? You know, invest it, buy a few cool things for themselves, go have a little bit of fun and celebration. And Nebula's going to go buy a ship with every conceivable weapon of death and destruction. And it, so it's, it's actually awfully sad. Uh, and it's disguised as humor, but it is incredibly sad. Well, and it does another thing that I thought was really interesting in that it actually informs the relationship between Gamora and Peter and why, you know, she has this unspoken thing. This is whole the joke throughout the whole movie idea of, of that there's this unspoken thing between them and you can't speak it because then it would be unspoken. And the same way in which she couldn't connect with Nebula, she couldn't see her as a sister. She was just worrying about survival. Gamora is trying to figure out how to get out of the life where she's only worried about survival. And she could see relationships as more than just a way to survive. And she's slowly coming to that by the end of this film. And I thought it was great that we didn't just have to focus on the Peter and Gamora relationship. We do some. But that other parts of her life give us an idea of why that's been so difficult for her without necessarily having to even talk about that at that point, you know? Uh, and I I thought that was a really nice thing that these two characters, these female characters, get an opportunity to have a strong thematic storyline that doesn't have to do anything with guys. But then when you took Gamora into that relationship with Peter, that also informed you in that storyline. And it was just good writing. Like the thematic story structure of this film is really good. I just I like the way they all play together, and I think that's its real strength. Well, and it, it all it all connects so well too because ne Nebula's struggles are way more obvious than Gamora's, but with the 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 unspoken thing that gasp I will now speak about uh, is. This I, I think that Gamora can't let go in the sense of she really struggles to actually fully trust anyone. And I think that that she she is interested in Peter as more than just um oh, you know, one of one of the family. I think that there there is something romantic between them, and I think Peter feels it and 
is and wants to give it a shot. And I think she feels a little but refuses to admit it to herself or recognize it because she can't go there. Uh, and throughout the movie, we see her struggling with, you know, going to Peter and opening up and dancing a little bit and then kind of storming off when Peter does something stupid, which happens fairly frequently. Um, <laughs> and so, so there's this tension of her not getting it when her sister just wants her to be there, when Peter just wants it, you know, for them to give it a shot and maybe go on a date or something. And, and she, even her suspicion of ego while well-founded and in the end true is one of those where she's like, yeah, yeah, let's, you know, let's go check it out. And if it turns out badly, we just kill them. And then she gets there and, and gets suspicious and she has reasons for being suspicious but I think she would have been suspicious anyway. Like, Peter hit on a sore spot when he called her out for that, and she reacted to that. So so these these things are there, and I didn't really notice that aspect or element about her until watching it the second time more closely. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, for one, I loved having the sisters element in a movie because outside of, well, maybe Frozen... <laughs> I I can hardly think of a movie where sisters' uh, relationships and conflict are explored as well as this one. Well, and that's something that I thought was a good part of this whole movie, like we've been talking about, is that it all does a great job of of really flowing together. Um, And the family elements and the the sister elements and all of these things, they, they go together so well to create an, a nice narrative structure. And even though it's not quite as clean as the first movie, it I actually, I, I, I just responded so much better to having so much to get an opportunity to think about. And I think it, it one of the biggest things in the movie is, is we get this great villain who has this incredible God complex. And I think everybody can admit Marvel's biggest failing for the most part is villains. It, they're just not really all that interesting. But what I love about Ego is that, one, he's perfectly named. And two, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's it's not subtle, but this is what happens. Ego is what happens when you only find meaning in yourself and you are truly all that matters. And because Ego, you know, sees himself above all over life because he's immortal. He's the only one that's going to last. Um, he's divorced himself from that idea of family that he's not a part of the family of, uh, of the beings in the galaxy. He's above them, and therefore he can rationalize doing whatever he wants to them. Indeed. And even if that means to exterminating them. And I think what an incredible thematic element and a scary one because, like, we kind of live in a world where people just see themselves as uh, being all that really matters. I mean, we all live in our own little bubbles, our own social media bubbles, and we kind of, like, create our own image. And ego is a wonderful, scary, creepy picture of that. Yeah, like that taken to the extreme where anyone not like him doesn't matter and the only other person like him in the universe is peter and so we we see that played out and as to what what an ego if taken to the extreme will do to you 
And and what's what's even scarier to me in some ways is the fact that he was so afraid of being pulled into truly loving someone that he had to actually destroy the person that he felt anything for for fear that it would pull him away from his selfishness. His particular brand of evil was made personal by his connection uh, to Peter's mom. And so the fact that, like, the, the most powerful, like, the, the gasp moment, the both, both times we've seen it, the big gasp moment of the movie is like, yeah, that's why it killed me to put that tumor in her brain. And like, oh. Yeah, and like people in the theater are like, like <gasps> people were like, yeah, and and listen, there's a lot of death and violence and 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 stuff in in this film, but man, entire that was the, spaceships full of people getting slaughtered, <laughs> people just rain, but they're literally a, a scene of bodies raining down. <laughs> um, but, oh, but such a good scene, too. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and we all kind of cheered and clapped at it too. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was it was that kind of evil was made personal. Uh, by by his connection to Peter Quill. Well, and and one of the things that's interesting, you know, he talks about this idea of trying to find purpose and meaning in life, and we see that play out in the the idea of Yondu and uh, with uh, Rocket them trying to figure this out too. Like everybody's trying to figure this out, and and so ego finds only the purpose and meaning in and of himself, and that if he can spread himself to every part of the galaxy then he will have found his purpose. And it's so diametrically opposed to what his son has been finding meaning and purpose in, which is love, sacrifice, family, uh, you know, self-sacrificial love. Um, and, 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 and it's so interesting because that question becomes then to us as the audience, like, who are we? Are we like ego where we only find a meaning in ourselves and, and live for only ourselves or do we find it in love and sacrifice like this you know messed up family who only yells at each other uh but they all are there for each other in the end what which type of life do you want and you know i, I like that science fictiony type movies can kind of bring us out of ourselves to make us think of these big things and put it before us in ways that which we are not immediately like am I trying to say? Uh, poppy? <laughs> like pop, yeah, well, popular? Yeah, no, just like you don't immediately reject what you're seeing and the, and the message because it's in a, you know, it's it's in a way in which it's, it's a chance to suspend. To digest. Yeah, it's a chance to suspend what we're uh, trapped in in terms of our own uh, preconceived notions from, from the reality of our own world and a way to consider these principles that we're seeing in a fantasy world. I mean, it's what I love about Lord of the Rings. It's what makes that mythology so incredible and there's certainly elements of that and then also just to I, i'm gonna pile on we're gonna, we're gonna do a little football pile because i'm gonna take everything you said uh, matt totally agree and then say not only is it not only is ego's um well ego his mission his purpose the polar opposite of uh peter's in some ways it's interesting because a lot of Peter's faults are being really egotistical, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah. when Gamora says that she, he was insufferable to begin with, it's a little bit true. But like, but you know, but, but the redemptive parts of Peter Quill—they don't come from ego; they come from Yondu. It kind of brings us, you know, uh, full circle here because, and I'm totally going to steal this. Um, do, you, do wait? Do you remember how devastated Yondu is when the people who were actually loyal to him got? 
floated basically if you yeah no his men you know and he, he and um, and like he he emotionally and mentally shut down and you could tell it wasn't just because oh he lost or they took his arrow from him it was because of his men which is why they showed several shots of his men getting dragged to the airlock kicking and screaming and very begging BSG for moment, help by the way yeah and, and begging for help and that they they're intentionally showing the impact that has on Yandu's character. Yandu cares, and ego never. And there's no did. exactly, and there's no greater demonstration of that caring, which again, just to reiterate, is the polar opposite of ego. Uh, that caring is is demonstrated most uh, potently in his personal sacrifice. It's not just that he chose to come back, fly back in the Millennium Falcon and, and help blow up the Death Star. No. He sacrificed his own life. It's he's He became the Obi-Wan and not the Han Solo. Again, sorry, I, the Star Wars references just have to kind of keep coming flying. Uh, and, and, and just to kind of put one final Riley pin on this, because I know we've again, like especially in our conversation here, it's just this is Yondu all day. Like that's what that's the greatest part of this whole movie. Um, and 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 what to kind of go outside of the universe. I think what else made me connect with that sacrifice so much, and what makes it so powerful, is that it is it is it's gutsy. It's different than uh, some sometimes the the MCU can be a little vanilla. Um, and if you think about yeah. death and sacrifice, we don't, we haven't really seen a lot of it. Like Groot sacrificed himself at the end of guardians, but he's back, right? It's not, it's not a permanent thing. And the same thing can kind of be said, uh, for, you know, when Loki die, death isn't, you know, it's kind of that old thing of death, not really being permanent in comic books, but the idea of, uh, it's not playing safe out of universe. And this I'll, I, I'm just gonna. I can't say any any better at at, at all than. Uh, and I want to give credit where credits due. Eric Kane uh, over at Forbes did a great piece on this that I was reading. Uh, and he says Yondu changes all of this again. The kind of playing it safe. Uh, his death in Guardians Two changes the equation. Equation. Unlike say, for example, Maximoff died in Age of Ultron. But unlike that, Yondu is a returning character we've come to know over time, and his role in the story has been established in the first film, where we learned that he was a space pirate with a gruff exterior and a softer side. In the second film, his role was vastly expanded, and we discovered the real reason he didn't bring Quill to his father, Ego. And it wasn't because Quill was just, you know, good at thieving. His reasons actually weren't selfish at all. And instead, Yondu was protecting Peter from ego who we knew was murdering his own children like that's the key here and that line at the end of the film he may have been your father but he wasn't your daddy well a very much a yonduism that just it puts an incredible point uh at the end of that revelation um and you know and again i'll go back to the piece to quote it he says the dangerous man with his crazy whistle of arrow of death and crew of thieves and ne'er-do-well is in fact one of the bravest people we've ever encountered in the mcu films in his choice to go up against a diabolical celestial being to save a little boy's life well i couldn't say better uh that's that's why i love this film and what i think is interesting is you talking about that that connection between yondu and peter i think uh it's Peter, who looks to Yondu to find the way to fight his father, right? And he gives him the instruction to think with his heart, not his head, to be able to control the power that he has, right? And I, I think that that's really incredible because 
you see where Peter is different than Ego in the sense that, look, he is a celestial just like his father, but he's willing to give up that power if it means saving the rest of the galaxy. You know, he's part God, he's part man, but he'll give up that godness if it will save the galaxy. And I think that's a really awesome message to have uh, that it's, it's, again, as we've been talking about, and it's exemplified in Yondu, and you see it in Peter, is that idea of self-sacrifice. Like, if it, takes my, if it takes me having to die to make sure everybody else lives, that's what I'll do. And that's a really... I mean, that's, that's like you said, Riley, that's the pin you want to put in the movie, and that's where that idea of self-sacrifice and, and redemption all come to, to get together, and it's pretty beautiful. And so I wanted to ask you guys a little bit, because we got a few new characters in here. We got Mantis and Aisha and Stalker. Uh, we got Sylvester Stallone for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. and, I did um, not even know he was in this movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it, which was great. Um, But... uh. Quickly, uh, what did you guys think of the new character of Mantis? I actually, I wasn't a huge fan at first. Not because I didn't like her, but because I thought, oh, her smile she's, wasn't she's, good enough for she's you. She's just gonna be like the the, Was the she pretty ugly and timid girl. <laughs> yes, I find her absolutely disgusting. Blech, <laughs> blech. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I thought that she was just going to be the the timid character who had some useful qualities that the main characters would use for the sake of the plot and on the second time watching it I thought that her character was more complex in the sense that she has her own journey throughout the movie the the journey of uh she is when she calls him master, you don't necessarily think about it. In the f- the first time I watched the movie, I didn't necessarily think about it. I was thinking master in the sense of oh, like he raised her. She's sort of kind of like a servant, but you know she's treated well and everything. But she is actually a slave because she lives in fear of him, and her entire life and world and being is wrapped up in serving ego's will and whim and i mean the chains that hold her might not be visible or literal but there are definitely chains there and her breaking away from being uh utterly dependent on and fearful of him uh is a an amazing story in and of itself and there there are so many aspects of this film that touch on uh being trapped uh, emotionally or physically or being an actual literal slave or being a mental and an emotional one uh, that are astounding and her her journey is one of being able to stand up for herself and the new friends that she's made, the new family that she's joining perhaps and so I I loved her character and her character arc the second time around when I was able to pay more attention to because there's so much going on in this movie. There's so much going on with all yeah. of the characters. <laughs> and I got it more the second time around with her. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I really like Mantis. Uh, and, and that storyline, as you were just talking and, and really putting those pieces together about the idea that, you know, look, if you are somebody that's full of ego, everybody really is just meant to serve you. I mean, that's how you act. You know, people are just there to be 
whatever you need them to be, and that's all that really matters is whatever you want them to be, and and that plays out in that character. And so, uh, in a lot of ways, um, you know, the first movie, Gamora is kind of a slave to Thanos, and she finds a way free, and Peter helps maybe a little bit in, in helping her towards that. In this movie, all of the characters, and specifically Drax and his very strange and maybe not so genteel or PC way, uh, helps her kind of break free uh, and and find a way to do the right thing, even though it might mean that, you know, she might die. And and so I I, I agree with you, Bethany. I think it's it's actually a good arc, and it, and it has a lot to say with the way that people are mistreated, specifically by those who um, are with people who care only about themselves. Uh, and uh, I mean, which is, I guess, that's really a piece of a lot of abusive relationships. And so, uh, her breaking free of that, I think, is a is a strong thing to have happen. So, um, also, she's just a, she's adorable. Like I'm learning so much. Like I'm a pet, and I'm ugly. <laughs> and then Gamora's <laughs> like, "Oh gosh, what is Drax teaching you? You are not ugly." That was hilarious. The uh, so we got the sovereign and Aisha, and they kind of feel a little bit more like um, they'll be more important later on. But they are some very funny comic relief I found uh, because they're not really, you know, uh, intense villains. They're more that kind of like bumbling bad guy comic relief. Yeah, <laughs> I did love the arcade though. <laughs> The fact that they, they there are their armada is an arcade basically, where they're <laughs> all so in funny. the like space pod and Star I love the Wars one game. Dude who's just oh. like there, and he's the last one left, and everyone's watching him. He's like, "Is he gonna finish the level? Is he gonna finish the level?" And then when he misses, like, "You suck!" And of course, everyone else is already. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, that was great. Um, I also uh, I thought it was really cool, and I loved having Sylvester Stallone there. I really hope that they give him and that character more to do in the third movie. I think that would be great because what a presence to have on screen. Uh, you know, he just he's not there for much of the movie, and so I'm I'm really hoping that's more set up for volume three. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. I mean, I love me some Stallone. Yeah, I mean he he's he's good stuff, uh, you know, and so I mean he's still got the chops, especially when you think of uh, you know Creed a few years ago, so uh, which is really a fantastic well movie, really well done. Uh, yeah, really well done. So uh, I thought real quick we'd talk a little bit about some of the uh, end credit sequences that we got, and you know there were five of them, so there's a lot of these. I know the they, biggest they just one, kept coming, man. They did. They kept coming. But the biggest one happens with Aisha and what she talks about of creating this new birthing pod. Yeah, the uh, and Adam, which and I, I actually, I, w- did, I knew nothing about this. So if there's something, can you, like, who Adam is Warlock. this Adam? Tell us about Adam Warlock. <laughs> well, Adam Warlock uh, is, and, and I had to look this up too, so don't think I'm some sort of genius here, folks, but uh, he's a genetically engineered hero who plays a major role in the original Infinity Gauntlet comic book from 1991. And James Gunn has already confirmed he's not going to be in in the Infinity War movie, but he will likely be a large player in Volume 3 of 
the Guardians of the Galaxy. And we have confirmation, uh, I saw today on Twitter, that uh, Elizabeth Debicki as Aisha, and it looks like the Sovereign will all be back too. So uh, it, it's... Uh, it looks like they're definitely setting up for Volume 3. So if you're kind of wondering about that, Adam Warlock is what you're going to want to Google, and you can find about more about him. But, uh, yeah, I had to look it up, too. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm totally guilty because I'm not, by any stretch of the imaginations, a comic book nerd. I mean, now I'm now a, a comic book movie nerd, but I'm one of those. I, I definitely have to go Google uh, a lot of these post-credit type things. Don't feel bad because there are too many people like that, and uh, don't be gatekeeped, okay? Uh, you, just because you don't know doesn't mean you're not a good fan. So um, what did you guys think, uh, lastly, before we kind of get to the ratings? Uh, you know, obviously the music's a huge part of Guardians of the Galaxy and what they pick. Uh, did you guys like this volume's awesome mix as much as volume one, or what did you think? At, f at first, I did not, simply because I didn't know as many of the songs, and I, I still think that I like the first one slightly better in terms of music, but second time round, after really listening to the music and listening to the words from the music, it matches what's going on so perfectly well. It's Yeah, it better fits the movie. Yes. That opening sequence, dude, is amazing. <laughs> it's so well done. Yeah, one of the, the 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 things that obviously Guardians does a fantastic job of with the music is is really marrying the song and the visuals, and and it didn't get any better than what we talked about just a little bit earlier. We mentioned uh, the whole idea of the bodies raining down, and that song that they're playing uh, is just this old classic oldie that I grew up with that I absolutely adore and love, and it's. Uh, you know, come a little bit closer. And as they're playing that song, it just fits so well. And I absolutely, you know, Jay and the Americans, it's a, it's a fantastic oldie. And if you don't know it, well, you do now because you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy and you probably love that song now too. So I, I think it's, you know, uh, like you, Bethany, I don't immediately recognize all the songs here as easily as the first volume. But I absolutely love this volume. I think they did a great job. So I have no problems the with it. The absolute best, I, 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 my, my top picks that were just really well used in the film was obviously Mr. Blue Sky at the beginning was perfect. Uh, the open, by, by just kind of focusing on Groot and not really the actual action, that was really well done. I love Lakeshore Drive. Um, it's, it's the uh, sort of piano ditty one. Uh, and then just again, yeah, I'll, give, I'll give folks who are listening just like a brief taste just to kind of touch base. This isn't YouTube, so we don't have to worry about getting blocked, right? <laughs> So, um, but no, it's, um, it, that, that was really well done as sort of a, I, I just liked that song. And then of course the use of, uh, Brandy, you're a fine girl by looking glass was really well done in the film talking about, you know, you know, we got to go for the sea. Uh, but yeah, the, that was, that was really clever because they actually used the lyrics of the song for the theme of the movie at least for Ego's theme. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I love that. Absolutely. But the absolute best um, use 
I'm trying to think, uh, I'm, and I'm going to pull it up, not the song, but the lyrics, because they don't quote the lyrics unlike they do with, uh, with, uh, with Brandy, but the best use of, the so- of any song in the whole movie has to be Cat Stevens' Father and Son. Uh, it is so beautifully, beautifully done. Yeah, that was nice. Uh, and I, I wasn't familiar with it. Like, I know, here's the interesting thing about, I, I do want to say this about music and Guardians of the Galaxy. What you can tell is just James Gunn, he loves, he absolutely loves music, as do I. And he's really good about uh, picking not only songs that fit well to the film, because there's a reason for them there, and they match whether it's Brandy or whether it's Mr. Blue Sky or, of course, Father and Son, which make perfect sense. He also has this way of picking songs that he's just not going for the pop. Like, he doesn't pick... If you're going to pick a Cat Stevens song, you might think, well, they're just going to do Moonshadow. That's the one everyone knows. I'm being haunted by Moonshadow, right? But they don't. They pick, like, the third, fourth, or fifth uh, known song from the artist because it fits the film. That You know, like, uh, frankly, I think um, that was the biggest difference between something like the soundtrack for the original guardians versus something like suicide squad, which did not pit, which had great songs in it that were kind of fun in the theater. But I found myself listening to the lyrics of uh, father and son when he says, I was once like you are now. And I know it's not easy to be calm when you found something going on, but take your time, think a lot and think of everything you've got. Like the idea that just fits so beautifully with the ending of the film. It's, I just absolutely love the way James Gunn incorporates the music. Yeah. I mean, any great soundtrack, uh, especially if you're going to use popular music with it, that should be the idea, is is to marry what's on screen, uh, the theme of it, and the song all together so that it makes one cohesive whole. And you're absolutely right. And you're right in the sense that James Gunn is very good at that, and they are great at that with the Guardians of the Galaxy films. And I... I love it. I, I think it's it's one of those things that makes movies fun uh, is when they do that right. And so um, I guess uh, in the end, we come down to uh, wh- what are we going to rate this? Uh, Bethany, what about you? Let's what are you going to where are you going to go with this one? So for ratings, do we do one through five or one through ten? Uh, whichever one you want to do, you're going first. so You can pick. All right. We're going to do ten. So, out of 10, I would give this movie a definite mm, seven and three quarters of the really freaky space rats that Groot chases around. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. So, I like that. Yeah. What you, um, you said seven point? Seven point, well, seven and three quarters. Okay. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> Very specific. Uh, Very specific. Yes. Uh, oh, interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, music was great. The plot was great. Maybe the film itself was a little bit more messily organized than the original, but it, it more than made up for that in the actual character stories. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, can go I go? Rally. Can I go? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, you I'm going to give it eight and a half. Wait, what do we give it here? Eight and a half frozen pirates. I'm going to give this one. Popsicle <laughs> <laughs> pirates. Uh, I want to see space pirates in Star Wars as awesome as the pirates in Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm going to give it eight and a half. I would probably give the original a nine, and I'm going to give this one an eight and a half. 
Uh, and and that would join a very l- small list of, I, I almost it's it's sort of like a professor never wanting to give you a hundred on an assignment. I don't know that I would ever give ten out of ten for a Marvel film, but I will say probably the closest I would come to it would be uh, Captain America: Civil War. It would be tied up way up there with that one. Uh, and then I can't. I don't know that I could put any other up any other films up that high. I don't think I could. Age of Ultron? Uh, no. Because you actually really like. I did, that yeah. Contrary to what a lot of people didn't, but I did really, but I wouldn't put it that high. No, like so. This joins. I would put this along with Civil War, and I'd say probably the um the what was it? I'm trying to remember which Iron. Uh, I uh, really the original Iron Man. I put that one up there as well. Yeah, this one for me. Uh, I'm gonna go around Bethany in the sense of uh, this is seven point five. Adolescent group tantrums, and uh, so I uh, I like this movie better than the first one, and um, you know it's it's not say up at the level for me of of Captain America Winter Soldier or Civil War, um, you know it's more in the middle for me of Marvel, but it's still a really good movie. I really enjoyed it, and I I I, I rank it above the the first Guardians. I, I think the thematic elements make it stronger. Uh, and a more enjoyable watch. And like you were saying, Riley, you've seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy more than any of the Marvel movies. True. You know, because of the thematic elements and enjoying watching this one because of that, I will rewatch this one quite a bit, I think, just really digging in and, and figuring out more of the things that we've been talking about. And so I uh, really am so excited that we got a chance to do this. And I appreciate the fact that we have great associate producers through Patreon. We have Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson who've been through the show for so long and they make sure that it comes to you each and every week. And so uh, if you want to help the network out, the best way you can do that, because it's it's a really expensive uh, enterprise uh, that's right, I said Enterprise, to put this together <laughs> each and every week for you. And we can't do it alone, so we ask you to go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and, and just see how you can help us with this. We've got a brand new show that we just launched on the network, uh, so you can check that out, Primitive Culture. We have all the other shows that we do here each and every week. Almost every single day there's a show coming out for you, so... Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. We got great perks for you coming out. We have early access to content. You can get seats on the uh, producer credits, uh, exclusive content. We've even got the Patreon's roundtable, so just check that out. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Well, guys, it has been a blast having you back, having the the Blanton Con here uh, with the 602 Club uh, right after you've graduated from college. Now, um... Since you've got all that free time, I'm sure that you're going to be all over the internet doing stuff. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, Riley, uh, where are you for everyone? Uh, wh- who am I? Where are we, Bethany? <laughs> what, what do we do? You're not in college anymore, that's for sure. Yep. And you know what we did to celebrate? We got home and napped, the Actually, both yeah, of us. We literally just woke up like a half hour before <laughs> that's this started. Awesome. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ben, I'll let you kick us off. Mm. All right. Well, Matt, I want to thank you for letting us join you on this this trek, this voyage, this enterprise in the next generation of entertainment. Contact with you. (laughs) I can't wait to beam our way to the ship. Matt is rolling. I'm going to beam you both off the ship. (laughs) (laughs) And. yeah, so but thanks indeed. This has been a lot of fun and this is this is like a cool little non-Star Wars uh geeky outlet for me and Riley. 
And and I, I appreciate you welcoming us on board. Definitely. This is one of those movies that like I wanted a podcast about, and I don't have a podcast to talk about it, so we appreciate you letting us crash yours. Yes. Well, both of you, you've got Bethany on, you're on Twitter at Bethany L. Blanton, uh, and you're that on Snapchat and Instagram, correct? Yeah, Snapchat and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, Bethany Blanton, and I do st- online stuff with the Star Wars Report, StarWarsReport.com, and across all social medias as well. Yuppers. Yeah, if you go to StarWarsReport.com slash about, that's the easiest way to find all of our links, so that's, so that's all you really need to remember. The only thing I want to plug now is I'm, I'm doing a pre-plug, Matt. All right? So... It, Hit me up. Well, I'm gonna kind of. I'm gonna double plug here. Uh, hit me up on Twitter to pester me about it, which is at the Riley guy. See what I did there. Uh, but also, uh, I'm just. I've just cataloged the folder of footage, the over two hours of footage that I cataloged on my phone, our DSLR, Geo's DSLR, Bailey's uh, GoPro. We have a giant log of footage where I'm creating the most epic star wars celebration documentary vlog uh, ever and matt rushing makes some remarkable appearances i'm just gonna say that right now i was i went through all the footage uh, and i was like i totally forgot how much i shot and matt you can be a little goofy at times especially after waiting in in line for hours and hours and i was yes, just yes, like that is very true there's so many i was <laughs> so i'm debating whether i want to just do random sort of robot chicken style smash cut interludes with your shenanigans or whether i put together a montage in one point of the whole video of all the matt rushing craziness that happens uh it's great it's so much fun so i'm gonna start I said by pre-plug, I mean I'm going to start the editing process. That video will go up on the Star Wars Report Facebook page and YouTube channel uh, in the coming weeks once I actually finish editing it. But I'm I'm ma- I'm announcing it here just to like put pressure on me to sit down and do that editing, uh, and I can't wait to show it to you guys because here's the here's the deal. Like if, if you guys like Star Wars or you're interested in Star Wars Celebration, you've heard about it but you've never been. The point of it isn't the announcements because like if you see the rap video or something that uh you know lucasfilm shoots a lot of great video there and you can see like the cosplay and the booths and the cool things this is this is not that this video is literally chronicling uh the adventures of a bunch of star wars friends (laughs) and 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 all of the craziness that ensues so i can't wait to actually uh get my uh get my feet wet get my hands dirty uh and start editing this thing together well, um, I'm I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. So you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram at MRushing. I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. We're so excited to be back, and so uh, make sure you check that out. We have a brand new episode here now. Uh, I'm also on the Nerd Party Network talking about Star Wars with John Mills. We're on Aggressive Negotiations uh, just pick a great topic from Star Wars and talk about it each week. It's a blast. Make sure you check it out. You're gonna if you're a Star Wars fan, you should be listening. So go over there and do that. I uh, also on Owl Post with Drea Kaufman, and we're walking through each and every chapter of Harry Potter. Uh, and uh, we just hit book two, The Chamber of Secrets. So make sure you check that out as well. All of those can be found on Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast catchers, whichever one you use. Uh, you can find all of those shows there. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? La, 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 la,